when the ninth month of the year draws to a close, an eerie presence starts to crawl from its uneasy grave. The beasts and ghouls of the Halloween season arise to torture the souls of mortal men, women and children. Beware, dear listener, you have been warned. The chatting flicks, thirty days of horror, are upon us. Family's home is haunted by a host of demonic ghosts. Before I watch Poltergeist, the next horror movie from my childhood, what main points do I remember? Well, the chair scene, the clown, the mirror scene, and the swimming pool scene. These older films certainly have more memorable moments than the ones we see these days. So, let's get my television tuned in. Check everyone is here and settle down and watch it. Directed in 1982 by Tobe Hooper of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre fame, Poltergeist follows the story of the Freeling family's encounters with a poltergeist that takes over their home. Scoring 7.3 on IMDb, 86% on Rotten Tomatoes, it will always be regarded as one of the classic horror films, and it was well received by critics and audiences upon its release. The film has a very 80s Spielberg feel to it, I mean, he wrote it, of course. You could easily think you're watching E.T. at times with plenty of vivid suburban colours and bright blue American skies. It reminds me of Gremlins a little, or perhaps the Indiana Jones trilogy, uh, with its well-rotten corpses falling out of their coffins. Yes, I did say trilogy. We at Chat and Flicks Towers do not recognise Kingdom of the Crystal Skull as an Indiana Jones film. It stars Joe Beth Williams and Craig T. Nelson as Diane and Steve Freeling. And of course, we've got to mention Heather O'Rourke as the youngest member of the family. Karen! I've also recognised Sonny Lantham, who plays the Native American tracker Billy in Predator, although he's merely credited as the pool worker number two. The Freeling family is your typical American suburban family. Their house and neighbourhood, perfectly normal, which makes the film all the better. It's not some creepy old house with doom and gloom, dramatic music and thunder and lightning wherever you see it. At least not until the end of the film, anyway. The spirits initially appear friendly, moving objects around the house. I still don't know how they did that superb chair acrobatic scene. Uh, The camera pans away for only a few seconds, but I always notice somebody manages to knock the plant in the corner of the shot. The ghosts then turn nasty, terrorising the household and abducting the daughter, Carol Ann. 
they enlist the help of uh, some paranormal psychologist, which leads me on to the second scene, which I always remember, probably the one that still has an effect on me. You know the one, the mirror scene. This was shocking and unpleasant the first time I saw it. It still repels me now, um, especially when the camera shows what's going into the basin. Back in 1982, in standard definition, the effects were astonishing, but in, in high def, it's unfortunately losing its edge a little bit and looks a little rubbery. We're then introduced to the ultimate Ghostbuster, the diminutive Tangina, with her rose-tinted aviator-style shades, wonderful accent and floral frock. At first, when I saw this, I thought she was a bit of a phony, but there's a wonderful scene when she ventures upstairs to investigate the home. Steve is downstairs discreetly questioning her suitability when Tangina calls down with a question, and Steve doesn't answer, and Diane glares at him. And whispering, he says, I was trying to answer her with my mind, and she couldn't hear me. I thought you said that this Tangina was an extraordinary clairvoyant. And then well out of earshot from an upstairs room, she cuts him off mid-sentence and says, I am. I just don't like trick answers. I can't do the accent, sorry. It's a great story, especially when it's explained why the spirits aren't happy. Um, but we don't really get told why they're not haunting anybody else. Is it the holdover Carolan that they have? I'm not sure. What I do like about it, uh, especially with your first viewing, is that you're not sure when it's going to end. Um, and I am sure at the end, one time I watched it, the unplugged TV turns itself on and displays the film familiar poltergeist static. The best performance has to be from Heather O'Rourke, who was only six at the time. And it's noted that Steven Spielberg was very protective over her during the film, and especially due to the film's content. Uh, there's also great snippets of comedy from Craig T. Nelson throughout the whole film, though. He's brilliant. Uh, there's a couple of things to clarify, though. There seems to be a lot of urban legends, certainly after its release, that loads of cast and crew died mysteriously during or, or after it. Um, notably, Heather O'Rourke and the on-screen sister, Dominique Dunn. Um, Heather O'Rourke was diagnosed with Crohn's disease during the filming of Poltergeist 3, and she was on medication throughout. And you'll notice that their cheeks are quite puffy in some of the scenes in Poltergeist 3. Um, Several months after filming was completed, she suddenly became ill and basically due to complications with her sickness, she just she passed away, unfortunately, at the age of 12. Dominique Dunn, the sister, she appeared in several films and was becoming well-known in Hollywood circles. Um, unfortunately, she was in an abusive relationship and was tragically murdered by her boyfriend, uh, cutting short a brilliant career there. I first saw this film on a school residential trip. Yep, you heard that correctly. It was a primary school residential. I was 10 at the time. It didn't really frighten me as such, but there are many moments that will shock you. Um, how the filmmakers protested to change the original rating, the R rating, to a PG, I have no idea. A couple of things to look out for are all the references to other films in this movie, especially Star Wars. It's all over the place. Maybe Spielberg was subliminally plugging the next instalment of the franchise, I don't know. Also, when Diane is blow-drying her hair, you'll notice a row of family photographs in the background. Later, the middle picture that's of Carol Ann has changed into some sort of demonic face or creature, not sure. 
There's been, of course, several sequels. Poltergeist 2, The Other Side, receives a rather low 5.7 rating, but it's still got its unsettling moments, especially with the creepy pasta Kane and his little ditties that he goes around singing. I like it. It's a credible backstory that doesn't simply try to duplicate the first film. Um, however, Poltergeist 3 is deserving of its 4.7. It's not great. Even Steve and Diane swerved appearing in that one, leaving poor Carol Ann with her auntie and uncle. There is, of course, the 2015 Poltergeist remake, which I've not yet seen. But if I'm going to go by any other modern Western horror films that are marketed in the same way, in the way it, it was, uh, I've no real motivation to watch it at all. There's another remake in the pipeline with the Russo brothers at the helm. Now, if they're Marvel films or anything to go by, it should be pretty decent. Uh, it's usually about now that I mention other films you may want to try by the same director, but Tobe Hooper's films are just very, very diverse. I can't think of anything that I've seen of his that's similar to Poltergeist. Maybe some of you may enlighten me on that. I don't know. So if you've not seen Poltergeist, go and watch it now and thank me later. If you have seen it, I hope you've enjoyed my take on it. And if you've got anything to add yourself or have missed any glaring points, then please get in touch with us.